0: If you turn with me to John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. I'm going to read through verse 1 to 11, but it's printed also in your bulletins. This is Jesus' final teaching to his disciples before he he passes, before he goes to the cross. And here's what he says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verses 9 to 11, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is God's word. I'm going to abbreviate uh, the sermon today because of uh, just our circumstances right now. It's warmer and uh, probably too warm for your comfort. So thank you for bearing with me. Um, but I'm going to shorten this I really emphasize just the main points of what Jesus is saying here. For the past several uh, weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' claims about himself. Because what we said was that it's one thing uh, to hear of him through other people, but we have to pay very close attention to what Jesus says about himself. Because if what he says, if we can validate what he says as true, then it's very important that we listen to everything that he has to say. But if we invalidate what he has to say, if, if we find that what he says is not true, then we shouldn't listen to him at all. We should dismiss him altogether. So it's very important that we be very careful in listening to what he says about himself. And this, you know, so far he said he's lover, that he's bread of life. He said that he is light, that he is access, that he's our good shepherd, that he's the gate. And um, those are incredible claims, remarkable claims. But in this passage, John chapter 15 Jesus says, I am the true vine. This is his final teaching to his disciples. Now, if you think about what's going on here, you've got to think very carefully about this. This is what Jesus says. This is what he leaves his disciples as he prepares to leave them. He's just about to get arrested, and he's going to die. And this is what he leaves with them. If you knew you were going to die in moments, what will your last words be? It's certainly not going to be about the game. It's certainly not going to be about... Tomorrow, per se, the immediate chores that you have to get done. The things that you have to share are going to be the most important things on your heart, the things that are weighing most in your heart. And customarily in the Old Testament, this was a this was a tradition. The leaders of Israel would gather their elders, their, their disciples, and they would say, they would gather them together, and as they get ready to depart from them, they share their final words. And the words are always the same. It was, obey the word. Obey God's law, obey his commands. This is what happens when you obey. This is what happens when you don't obey. But that's not what Jesus says here. He says, I'm the fulfillment of all of God's law. The other leaders, they would say, obey. Stay connected to God's word. Here, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Stay connected to me. And what he's saying here is that... um, and this is the irony. The irony is that he's about to die, and he says, if you want life, you have to stay connected to me. Just the passage before, John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples he's going to be leaving them, and they're troubled. And he says, don't be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Here he says, you have to stay connected to me. I'm going to leave you, but stay connected. The metaphor that Jesus chooses to describe himself last is a Vine. What he's saying is that it's not enough to have a mechanical relationship with Jesus. Your relationship to Jesus has to be organic. It has to be like a a vine and its branches. The, The vine and its fruit. You ever go to a vineyard, you see the vine, and you see lots of fruit attached to it. He says, your relationship with Jesus has to be like that. We don't live in an agrarian culture. How many times do you actually get to go to an orchard and see and observe plants unless you're like a botanist or studying botany in some ways, right? Today, it's ever more just as important. He says, you need to connect to me if you want life. The key to faith is growth in Christ, to be connected to Jesus, organically connected to who Jesus is. Not just his life, but everything that happens afterwards, his death as well. Why is that? Why do we have to connect with Jesus? in order to find life. Our world today is naturally falling apart. Science will tell you that our world is heading, expanding in entropy. It's expanding. And with that expansion comes disaster. Constant disaster. The world is literally falling into decay. It's deteriorating. And you don't have to be a scientist to understand that. Buy a new car, let it sit in your driveway for three months. What, is ha- what happens? It just starts to deteriorate. In fact, if you let your car sit for even more than two weeks, it's not healthy for your car. The signs of deterioration will continue to take hold in your life. But that's not just for physical things, look at yourself. Think about your languages. You study languages for years and years and years. Stay away from it for six months, what happens? Your language will deteriorate. Your tongue deteriorates. Think about your character. So it is with the physical world. So it is with our possessions. So it is with our studies, our academia. Now think about our spiritual character. Jesus is saying it's no different. That if you just let yourself sit there, time alone will waste you away. It will waste you away physically, but it will also waste you away in character, spiritually as well. Christian character. If you leave things alone, things will become entropic. Disaster awaits. But here, Jesus says that in Christ, as a Christian, your growth, your maturity is guaranteed, it's assured. You actually can change genuinely, and you actually will change genuinely in Christ if you're connected to him. If you're connected to him, three things that we're going to learn today, and they're very, very quick. We're going to learn about the vine, the branches, and the gardener. Simple metaphors, simple images. The vine that's our source of growth source of maturity. The branches, that's our fruit, the character of our growth, what growth looks like. And lastly, um, the power to grow, the power to grow, for it. the power to change, that comes from the gardener. First, the vine. You see this in the large part of verses 1 to 8. I'm just going to summarize. Jesus says, mainly what he's saying, he starts it in the beginning, he goes midway in verse 5. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He's talking about an intimate relationship. This relationship has to be so intimate. It has to be so invasive. What he's saying is, look, think about a vine and its branches. The branches are not just kind of a, a separate tree by itself. It's intimately connected to the vine. It draws all of its life from the vine, from its source. All the nutrients that flow up from the ground into that vine go out into the branches. He says, so it is with the vine and the branches. So it is with me and you. You have to stay organically connected to me. You can't be, no tree, no branch is a tree all by itself. In fact, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, right? What he's saying is my relationship with you has to be so intimate, so close, so invasive. That means that the gospel, God's kingdom, Christ's love, but also his call, that has to be an intimate relationship with you. Relationships, the deeper they are, the more they change you. That means that he has to argue with you. That means he says here, he says, my words must remain in you. What that means is that let his words argue with you. Let his words disturb you. If they're not disturbing you at any point in your life, then you're not intimate with his words. They should disrupt you. They should disturb you. They should challenge you. But they should also comfort you. Because if the words don't comfort, then you're not being, you're not, you don't have an intimate relationship with his word. If it doesn't soften you when you are hard of heart, then you're not developing a relationship with him. Like arteries to an organ, drawing from the heart the life breath that the arteries give these organs, he says, so it is with me as the vine and you as the branches. Judah Folkman is a, was a leading cancer researcher. He passed away in 2008, but he was a resident. He was actually one of the chiefs of medicine out in, uh, out in, uh, in the 2000s. In the Children's Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts, it was a Harvard teaching hospital, and, and he came out with an astounding discovery in the 70s, in the late 70s, uh, and made a huge breakthrough in cancer, and what he noticed in studying, uh, cancer cells was that they need, they feed, whenever a cancer or tumor cell starts to grow, uh, in order for it to continue to proliferate, new veins, new arteries start to form around it and start to, starts to pump some of the blood. That means, what that means is that your body, it's built in such a way that if as a, if a tumor cell starts to grow, it's developing, it's drawing its nutrients. Those very cells are drawing their nutrients from your own body. It's drawing its strength from your body. And and that's where the proliferation takes place. So he came up with an interesting uh, philosophy, and he said, well, he, and he tested it out. It, he was virtually, he almost came to uh, a Nobel Peace Prize in the early 2000s for what he, uh, what he uh, came across. But what he said was, well, if you cut out those arteries... Then you can kill the tumor. And that concept of genesis of the arteries is now probably one of the leading, th- uh, factors in cancer research today. Just, just like that theory, Jesus said that centuries before, he says, for your spiritual character to grow, you need to be connected to the vine so that all the nutrients provided by the vine flow into you. It's going to be dynamic. It's going to be robust. It's going to be powerful. If you don't do that, what happens? Then you're feeding off of whatever you got. And it's not enough. He's telling you, it's not enough. It's going to make you grow weak. Eventually, you wither and you die. You ever see the with, uh, the, a branch of a tree that just dies away? What's going on? It's drawing nutrients from itself after a while. It's not connected to the, to the main stem. So what happens is it starts to wither, shrivel sure up, until what do you have to do? You literally have to slice it off. He says, be connected to me. It's got to be organic. Which means that there's a difference between being organically joined to Christ and being cosmetically joined to Christ. What does that mean? When you're cosmetically joined, you are mechanically put together. You are externally looking like you're a part of the vine, but you're not really a part of the vine. You're not drawing your life from the vine. You're not drawing your nutrients from the vine. You're not drawing your source of life from the vine. Your joy isn't coming from the vine. It's coming from the externals. And you can live like that for a while, but eventually you will start to weather internally. And all it takes is a tragedy. All it takes is a disaster. All it takes is the heat of the sun to come before you start to realize now externally entropy has taken hold. Jesus says, I have to constantly intrude into you. My life source has to constantly go into you. It's not a casual relationship. It is a dynamic, living, you know, organic relationship. Now, the amazing thing about this passage is that in the Old Testament, Anytime the vine was referenced in the Old Testament, it was with respect to Israel. Israel was the vine of God. But whenever you see the word uh, Israel or the word vine represented in the Old Testament, it was always represented with, the, with respect to its failure. It never produced good fruit. I'm going to read from you one passage as an example. This is Isaiah chapter, chapter uh, 5, verses 5 to 7. And um, this is uh, Isaiah's prophecy of Israel, God describing Israel, God describing us, Who we are with respect to him. Here's what he says. Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. That's us. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. He's saying, You are my vine. You are the, you are the vine. The Israel, the church is the vine of God. And yet, every single time he looks at the vine, instead of being able to delight in the vine, he sees bloodshed. He sees the entropy. He sees the disaster. He sees the falling into decay of the, the natural course of the human heart apart from him. Israel was always represented in failure in failure to draw their life, to draw their application, to draw all their all their, their lifestyle, all the things that they think and do, uh, the source of that from God. So the prophecy is always pointed to a greater vine, a true vine that would come. So it's remarkable because what Jesus is telling his disciples right now, right here in this passage, is this. He's saying, your culture, your legacy, your pedigree, these things... These things are are keeping you from being organically connected. In, in our world, we, we are we live in a world where like dissolves likes, so we look for people who are part of our culture. We like to cling to that. That becomes more defining in our church than uh the actual uh the nourishment that comes from Christ Himself. He says, Your culture, your legacy, you know, these things, these are the things, your laws, these are the things that you have a mechanical relationship with me, you have a cosmetic relationship with me. It's not organic. He says, I am the true vine. I'm going to abolish all the other pursuits that promise life. In our world today, culture, staying close to your culture, staying close to your pursuits in life, your career, your academia, these things are the things that will give you life because they promise you money. They promise you power. They promise you joy. They promise you relationships. And so we pursue these things as our vine, but what the Bible's saying here is that only Jesus is the true vine because if you pursue these other things, you may grow for a little while, but you're going to draw power from yourself. And when the heat comes, losing your job, the breakup of a relationship, loss. That's when you realize you have not been drawing from the true source and you start to wither. The entropy starts to take over. We have to be attached to the vine and uh, I'm going to leave that at that. The second point, then, is the branches. What are the branches? Jesus says, remain in me. Uh, if you look at the NASB or the King James Version, he uses a much different word, but it's, he's trying to say the same thing. The NIV takes that and tries to modernize that word. He says, abide in the vine, abide in me. We don't use that word very often in our language today, but what he's, and, and the word remain is pretty close. He says, remain in me. Be a part of me. Stay connected to me and cling to me. Draw everything from me. Suck from this stem. Suck from the true vine. S- be stuck with me and then suck, it, suck my nutrients. That's what he's saying. He's saying, draw everything from me because I am plentiful, I am rich, I am full, and I will give, and I will fill you, and I will give you, you'll be richly blessed if you do that. He says, stay connected. What is he saying? How does he say to do that? He says, remain in my word. That's how you suck of his nutrients, the fruit of his word. I'm going to read from verses 3 to 4 here. He says, uh, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me now. Remain in his word, and, and I will remain in you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. It's, we don't just look in the Bible, that means for an answer to any given moment in time. It's not like some sort of like, a, like a, a soothsayer. But he says, if you abide in it, if you continue to walk in God's word, if you continue to obey what he says, sometimes it's hard because what? When you're attached to the vine, it's going to disturb you. Sometimes it's going to argue with you. Sometimes it's going to challenge you in a critical way. And yet he says, if you remain in that, if you continue to live that out, you will grow. You will be blessed. You will, you will experience growth, maturity. Verses 1 to 2, he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The gardener's role is what? He examines the branches to see what? To see which parts of the vine are cosmetically attached, just mechanical, and he can tell it's going to wither. So what does he do? He prunes it. He doesn't prune it out of anger. He prunes it for greater growth. You know, when you walk through a vineyard, if you've ever been to a vineyard and you walk, you'll notice that on the ground, there are perfectly healthy branches a lot of times. It looks like a waste because if you walk around in a vineyard, you'll see perfectly, beautifully shaped grapes on the ground. And you're wondering, how do these things just kind of fall here? You know, you're thinking that somebody else kind of tore these branches off. But if you actually look at the vine itself, You'll notice that they've been snipped. Which means that the gardeners that came by intentionally walked in and actually snipped perfectly healthy looking branches with fruit attached to it, and these are things that are lying on the ground. The reason why you know is that if, for you who are children, your children will pluck, more likely pluck from the ground these berries or, or, the, or these fruits than from lo- reaching out to the actual healthy vine. You know, because it's hard to reach. That's how you know. But all over, if you imagine this vine, it's got hundreds of sores because it's been snipped in a hundred places. Now, if it were alive, if it were, if it had nerves, it would be in tremendous amount of pain, that suffering. He says, you know, uh, the gardener is going to come he's going to examine which parts of the vine are cosmetically attached versus the ones that are organically attached. The reason why he prunes it is because when you prune a vine, the power that's going to flow out of that vine becomes more powerful. He's not pruning away uh, to hurt you, clearly. He's not pruning your life. A lot of times we go through life and there's suffering in our lives, but the gardener says it is intentional. Just like a surgeon with a knife, just like an artist with a brush, every stroke, every cut is intentional. This gardener's going to snip away and it's going to seem like suffering to us. It's going to be painful. It's going to look like uncertainty. It's going to look like anxiety or reasons to be anxious. It's going to look like pain. It's going to look like loss. But Jesus here is assuring his disciples just before he's about to pass away. He tells them that it's pruning. It's so that greater power will now flow through and you will be even greater, more powerful than you could have ever imagined yourself to be if he had left you alone. That's powerful. That's, that's the gardener at work. That's the gardener artfully at work. He says, You're, my words have to remain in you and remain in my words. Remain in me. Stay organically connected to it. You may not like what you hear, but listen, obey. And it will be fruit for you. It will cause tremendous growth. And just as an allusion, uh verse nine, he says, uh just as a reference, he says, you need to grow in love. Verse ten, he says, You need to grow in obedience. You need to learn to that, that pruning is gonna allow you to love people that you never were able to love before. People who are roommates people who are in relationship, people who have avoided other people because of disrupted or disturbed relationships. Contexts. You can go outside of your own context. Rich can look at the poor. Poor can even look at the rich. And we can say we can be family. We can be brothers. That's powerful. That's something that goes beyond your personal, natural ability to look uh, look at yourself and, and your abilities. He says, not only will you be able to love other people, he says in verse 10, he says, now remain in my love and you, and then you will obey. Verse 10, obey. You'll be able to, the more you remain in his love, the more the power is working, the more through suffering, as God's working in our lives, he humbles us and then we're able to obey even more. That's meekness. Meekness is not the result. We we don't use the word meek very often either, but meekness is not the result of weakness. It's the result of vital, this incredible power, the vine, pursuing you, nourishing you even more because, and it happens out of, because the Lord has made us weak, because the Lord has snipped our branches a lot of times because we've been, we've been pruned. We'll have sores, but we've been pruned. And now power, the vitality of the gospel can work in our lives. Here's some questions. Are you more calm today than you were yesterday. Are you more at peace with who you are than you were yesterday? Are you less anxious today than you were yesterday? Are you less defensive about your mistakes than you were yesterday? Are you, um, more at rest today? less dependent on just your own abilities today, more loving towards your neighbors, more loving towards people around you, outside of your own context? How about family members? More uh, wanting to understand, wanting to serve, even if you don't agree. Inner relationships, maybe even in this team. Are you more willing to reach out than you were yesterday? Are you more willing to look at your own character? Because if the gardener is examining you, that's verse 1 and 2. If the gardener is examining the vine to see which of the branches need to be snipped, we should be all the more wanting to examine the areas where we need to obey, the areas where we need to love, the areas where we fall short, the areas where we're anxious and prideful and arrogant, not trusting, less dependent, more enslaved. Lastly, let's look at the power to change. How do you change? And we have to look at the gardener. The gardener's job is to bring out the best in the vine. That's why he does what he does. That's why you see all the, the snipping, and that's why you see all the, the, the trees and the branches on the ground. You know, uh, parents can uh, uh, relate with this um, if you, when you punish your children, your children at that moment, it's death for them. You ever see a kid know that he's about to, uh, you know, he's about to get disciplined? In his mind, it's death for him. But for a parent, we know that it's it's for their life. We know it's for it's for greater power. We know it's for greater maturity. So what seems like incredible soreness for them, it's actually greater vitality, truthfully, for them in their lives. That's what the that's what the Father does. That's what the gardener is doing. That's the work of the gardener. Now, why don't we always like what the gardener is doing in our lives? It's because we always think, we always like to believe that we have greater perspective than God himself. We, you know, when certain suffering our complaining is indicative of the fact of this one truth. It's the fact that I believe that I know my future and what is, what is important for me and what is good for me more than anybody else around me, including the Father himself. And yet the Father, when he prunes you, what he's saying is, no, that's not true. I know you. You Notice how Jesus masterfully brings us to the vine. In John chapter 10, he says, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. If you really take that truth in, it means that he also knows what's good for you more than you know yourself. And that means that there's going to be suffering because you aren't always going to agree. He's pruning you. It's his way of saying, stay connected. Are you suffering? He's saying, stay connected. Remain in me. He's not just saying hang in there. He's saying you have to endure this because the sores will result in a vitality that you had never experienced before, but you need to get a little perspective. You need to realize and admit and confess and profess that God has far more perspective about you than you do. We underestimate our potential. We think we know our potential. We actually underestimate our potential in Christ. And that's why, that's the reason for the pruning, We have to remember that we're a branch. And that means that we have to suck from the tree of life, the vine of Christ. Now, all this, he says in verse 11, the whole point of this, he says, this is so that my joy may be complete in you. That's what he says. It's for joy. So you would experience joy, but it's ironic. Why is it ironic? It's ironic because Jesus, he's talking about your joy. He's saying my joy, my happiness, my rejoicing is going to be made complete in you. But he's on his way to die. He knows it. He's heading straight for the cross at this point. From this point on, he's heading for the cross. And yet he's saying, this is for your joy. He's teaching about what's going to grow your joy, but Judas just left to betray him. He literally just left. His friends are just about to abandon him. And he knew it. What's going on here? Jesus is about to experience the gardener's work on him for his greater joy. Immediately after his teaching in John chapter 17 Jesus prays for his for all the believers he prays for his disciples and he begins but before he actually starts his prayer he begins he says the time he says father the time has come it's an amazing prayer he says father the time has come meaning that um up until the book of uh, this chapter in 17 um up until this point he says my time is not yet come chapter 2 Jesus turns water into wine. His mother says, they ran out of wine, Jesus. He says, the time has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now he says, the time has come, Father. The hour that he was talking about, the glory that he was talking about was the cross, his death. That's what he's talking about. And yet, what do you hear? What do you read? What do you see? He's fully trusting He says, Father, the time has come. Let's do this. He's trusting in the Father's work. He's trusting in the Father's presence. He's trusting in the Father's time. There's no anxiety. There's no double double uh, thinking. There's no checking him again. Are you sure you want to do this? That's not what he does. Jesus is fully connected to the Father. He's fully connected. But on the cross... He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, what he's saying is, I am the true vine, fully connected to you, my source. And you've not just pruned me, you've cut me off completely. You've forsaken me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken? What he's saying is, I have become tramp, I've been left to be trampled on the ground. You've not just pruned me. I don't just have sores. I understand the sores. I have sores on my arms. I have sores on my hands. I have sores on my feet. I have sores on my, on my head. And in other words, up until this point, it was Israel that said, you will get thorns. Here he's on the cross. He says, I have a crown of thorns. And I've been forsaken, completely cut off from the Father, completely cut off from my life source. Why? So that you could be connected. So that you could be engrafted into Christ. So that you could have the life source now, not just running, not running through Christ. He says, remain in me so that the life source will now run right through you. You have utter access in Christ. Utter access. That's why we pray. If you're just praying for things, you're not realizing the potential of prayer. Connected to Christ, asking for his will because you can accomplish it in him. Christ has a wonderful mission, wonderful purpose because you're connected into his mission and purpose. And you're saying, send me, give me the strength to continue to fulfill that which you have set for me to do. Because that's what Jesus did. And it led him all the way to the cross. It led him to his death. He's saying, now I'm detached. Now I'm cut off. I feel the steel of complete this engagement with you, my source of life. And yet in Hebrews chapter 12, it said it was for the joy that was set before him. And that joy is us, that we are connected to Christ, that we are connected to the Father. That not, it's not just Jesus experiencing the embrace of the Father. We get to experience the embrace of the Father. It's not just Jesus that experiences the power of the Father. We get to experience the power of the Father. Don't give up. All this to say, don't give up on yourself. It's so easy to get discouraged. Don't give up. Jesus does ever, you never see giving up language in Christ. That's the best part about uh, the book of John. It's the best part about being in Christ. He never says, give up. He says, you're a hopeless case. He never says that. On the cross, he says, I've become the hopeless case. So you will have power to change, power to grow. Don't just examine yourself. If you just examine yourself outside of Christ, you'll be utterly depressed because you're going to recognize that as much potential as you thought you had, you have much less than that. And it's going to discourage you and it's going to break you. But remain in Christ. Stop sucking from other stems. Stop looking for other vines to draw life from. Because money and power and career and family and spouse and relationships and children and education, all these things, you can suck and you can suck from these things and you'll get some nutrient out of it. You'll feel like you're growing and ultimately you will dissipate. You will wither. You will die. You will become entropic. There will be disaster. The heat will come and you will wither away. But it says here, blessed is the man. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Whatever he does prospers. Whatever he does prospers because you're doing it in his name, because his power, his mission, his purpose is in you. Don't give up on yourself. Don't try to attach to other vines. Trust in Christ, our true vine. Let that be your source of life. Let that be your source of love. Let that be your source of mercy. And I tell you, and it's not just my promise, it is the promise of Christ here. He says you will have life, and you will enjoy it to the full. Let's pray.